Hello, language enthusiasts, and welcome to The Language Worker, a space to talk about the people involved in the language business in a broad sense. I'm interested in finding out how their training, work experience, and their passion for languages has shaped our guests' professional and, of course, personal lives. Join me on this journey to explore the multiple and unpredictable paths one can follow when we are involved in the magical world of languages. Aniko is a talented translator who works from English to Hungarian and specializes in creative translation with a special focus on video game localization. She's one of the founders of Team Translator and an active member of Women in Localization UK. She studied music for many years and thought about being a music teacher. However, when she started studying translation, her focus changed and she decided to dedicate her life to being a wordsmith. So today I'm very excited because I have my guest, Aniko. Uh, obviously, I don't know how to pronounce her name. I had already told her I don't know how to pronounce her name. So I will ask her to do it in a minute. Uh, she's very active on social media. She's part of a lot of uh, groups and she's involved in the translator's uh, freelance life in a very intensive way. That's why I thought he was going to be a great person to introduce to you if you don't know her. And I'm sure you're going to enjoy knowing a little bit more about her in case you're already following her work, which is my case. So I have a couple of questions, but really, as everybody knows, we'll have a freestyle conversation, but I'm sure she will have so much to say <laughs> because she does a lot of things, right? So I would just ask you to introduce yourself, but please start by saying your name because it's so interesting. I love this diversity of, you know, because you're Hungarian, so you're the first Hungarian person I've ever had on the podcast. Mm -hmm. and I'm very interested in listening to this name. <laughs> uh, thank you for inviting me. And um, uh, my the name of my pronunciation, no, the pronunciation of my name <laughs> <laughs> is uh, Oniko. So it's kind of like a O uh, in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And uh, the family name is Petr Mordowski. See, <laughs> how can I say this? <laughs> So the Petr part is the Hungarian one, and Mordowski comes from my husband's name. So mm -hmm. I chose to, to keep my own name as well. And you are Hungarian, but yeah, I'm in the UK. Hungarian. So I live in the UK. I've been living here uh, how long? <laughs> I think thirteen years or so. Ah, it's a long time. Yeah, so for a long time. Um, and uh, always in the Cambridgeshire area. So I used to live in Cambridge and now I live outside. Um, yeah, I, I do English to Hungarian translations, um, mainly video game localization, game localization. So some, sometimes I do board games or card games. Um, what else? Marketing, transcreation is also one of my areas. Uh -huh. um, and as you mentioned, I'm active in different organizations. Um, I'm volunteering in um, Women in Localizations UK chapter uh, currently as a chapter manager. Mm -hmm. uh, I used to be on the social media team. And I'm also in the ITI East Anglia network um, as its secretary. And <laughs> um, <laughs> last year, um, we started a, a group with Kelsey, who you already had um, as mm -hmm. a guest on your podcast. Um, yep. 
um, a community for freelance translators called Team Translator. Mm -hmm. And basically, we wanted to create a space that is a positive environment for translators to, to talk about um, stuff related to work, ask for advice, support each other, and sometimes even just to vent a bit, um, because it's <laughs> also needed yes, from time to time. Yeah. All right. So there's the whole conversation. We don't need to, to record anything else. <laughs> <We are done. laughs> so I'm going to bring you back. <laughs> <laughs> to let's say college years for example or your interest in English or was it always there was it a family thing did you study English because you enjoyed it was it because you had no other options was the university close to you were you in Hungary when you studied what's the story okay many questions <laughs> <laughs> no this is all um, one question <laughs> okay <laughs> so let's go back to my formative years um actually my first um foreign language that I started learning first was German mm -hmm. but I um, applied to a high school um, that was specialized in music and and um, in the course that I wanted to do I had to learn um, about musical terminology in English so mm -hmm. I had to start learning English and I didn't become a musician but I really did you play a specific I, instrument did you yes, sing what I, was the yeah, I used to play the piano, but I wanted to actually study um, music theory. Uh, so oh. that was more, I was never really a, a talented artist. <laughs> so it was more like music history, theory. Um, so you wanted to be a music teacher in college or? Yeah, or, music teacher, yeah. research and yeah. from that side of things. Okay. So at that point, <laughs> at 14, I didn't really have a clear idea of my career progression but yeah so anyway as, thing as things happened I, I fell in love with English and um, decided to apply to different universities to, to study English and um, um, basically this was a comprehensive course we had um, uh, like seminars and lectures about history of the English-speaking countries linguistics um, oh, theoretical and applied linguistics. So we could really find out what we were really interested in. So this was an undergraduate course. Mm -hmm. So here I did a track on translation and interpreting. And um, at that point, I was still in more interested in um, theoretical linguistics. <laughs> <laughs> so I, the, I think the, the main thing is that I'm always kind of different things will catch my attention and then I get interested in them as you can guess by me being involved in three different organizations for sure um so yeah so I did this translation track and also tourism track mm. and did my thesis in phonology oh. um, <laughs> in English phonology or yeah um, Irish English so um, the Irish variant of, of English Okay, why was what was the motivation for that? I mean, I love well, that. I'm just wondering. I uh, like that... knowing what what led people to make certain choices because it's just very interesting. What your thought process? Yeah. So at the time, um, I hadn't. Well, he wasn't my ex at the point, but I had a relationship, ah, and he, right. he used to live in Ireland, and we had plans. I get to... it. I totally get it. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps like spent a few years in Ireland, and so I started to become. Ah, you lived there. 
No, I didn't live in Ireland oh. because we, we didn't end up going. But ah. Well, at <laughs> least I did. <laughs> but I did get a thesis out of it. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, so where was I? The, the thesis in pathology. Yeah, and then um, I couldn't really decide what to do after uh, my bachelor's course. And there was this opportunity to uh, do a two year tourism course uh, with one year in England. Mm. I said, okay, until I decide what I want to do, I do that. So I came here. Uh, the course wasn't what I expected. Um, so <laughs> That's good. So, uh, but England was all I wanted. <laughs> so I decided to stay here and uh, continue my studies here. And uh, I ended up doing an, an MA in applied linguistics. Mm -hmm. So what did um, you apply it to? <laughs> I, love, I love this what did you apply it to this time because i love the, the idea of applied linguistics oh, I, oh, you can, I studied you can linguistics try. myself my my ba and my ma are in linguistics but in theoretical linguistics mm. so applied linguistics was just a little small part of it so i always wonder what people apply it to yeah so basically you can apply it to anything <laughs> yes i know but what did you do but, yeah so uh the the course I took was focus focusing on uh, teaching uh, yeah. and um, language acquisition, mm -hmm. uh, but also we had um, some reading about um, what's it called uh, forensic linguistics that I found interesting, but I never took it anyway. <laughs> um, and uh, social linguistics. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so there's so many other things. Uh, the course was mainly about uh, teaching English. Um, and then in the end, I actually decided to do my own research for uh, my thesis, and it was about um, bilingual Hungarians and how their language changes uh, when they move to an English-speaking country, in this case. <laughs> so you took yourself and transformed yourself into your thesis. Well, I, I did interviews with other people. <laughs> yes, I, I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. But you were like part of your own study. So you, were you observing yourself? Were you, you were not, you were not one of the informants, obviously, right? No, no. <laughs> I think if I had to do it again, I would do things a bit differently. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I did not, did not observe myself. Yes, I guess, I guess it would be a bit biased, let's say that. Yeah, yeah. So you went into the working world, let's say that. And what happened there? It's always... One of those moments, right? What happens there? Did you already have clues while you were in college about what you wanted to do? Or was it like, here I am, I have no idea what I'm going to do, and something showed up? What's your story on that? Well, actually, um, um, I met during my studies, um, there was another girl who, who worked at a, a local translation agency. Mm -hmm. And she said that oh, they have an opening for uh, a maternity cover as a project manager. Mm. And to be honest, I never really thought about project management as a career option because I guess I, nobody does. <laughs> I think nowadays is changing and, and people do go into it. But I don't think they plan to, to be honest. From <laughs> what I know, from the people I know, I know a lot of people who are project managers because I was a project manager myself. Mm. But I don't think it's the plan that you make because usually people have a translation background or something similar. They study languages or not. Sometimes I know people who studied businesses, business and actually became project managers. Mm. I have a few examples. 
And um, I don't think that is a career that you plan. You plan to be a translator because this is, you, you study translation language, but that seems very obvious that you are a teacher, that you are a translator, one of those things. But to be a project manager, which is already a very specialized um, part of a translation, of the translation uh, business, really. So I guess it's nobody's plan, at least that's what I think. <laughs> so obviously, I would expect it not to be mm. your plan. But then you went for it and you loved yeah. it a lot. <laughs> yes, so so I started out as a maternity cover and uh, in the end that lady did not return to work. So oh. I stayed at the company for seven years. <laughs> Instead that of was time a time. long maternity <laughs> leave. <laughs> Yeah. Seven years, always as a project manager? Yes, well, um, uh, for the last few years, I did take on some extra responsibilities with the digital marketing side. So mm -hmm. I was responsible for the newsletter, uh, social media accounts of the company. Mm -hmm. So so I did a bit of that as well. It, it was a small company. So I think you might also know that in, in many cases, in small companies, people wear different hats. <laughs> it's good because you get the experience. Um, so and it mustn't get uh, boring. Um, yes, it's true. Actually, that's true. You have to be, I guess you have to be more flexible if you work at a, a smaller company. I, I actually started as a project manager also in, it wasn't a super small company, but it was much smaller than the second company I worked for because of course, every company is smaller than that one because I, my second company as a project manager was dressed perfect. <laughs> so, of course, I, I could tell uh, the difference and it's, mm. it's very different because... But even in a, in a big translation company environment, sometimes you need to wear multiple hats, which was mm. also my case, but it was very unexpected, I have to say. I didn't expect it to be that way because when you work in a, in a huge company, then your work tends to be more specialized. But obviously, in smaller companies... There's a lot of opportunity for you to learn. And also, I you're probably closer to your peers who are doing slightly different types of, of work or things just show up because probably that's when they started social media anyway. And you were there and you were probably interested. That's why they decided that you would do it, I'm assuming, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, um, the lady who was looking after marketing left and um, yeah. <laughs> so... so every time someone left... I mean, I was always there. <laughs> Fortunately, you were there to take over their, their job. <laughs> yeah, now that you put it that way, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm not uh, just sitting around waiting for someone. <laughs> <laughs> but you weren't doing any linguistic work as such. Because, I mean, let's face it, there's a lot of uh, types of uh, project managers. Mm. I was the type of project manager always that was very, very involved in language quality, right? So nothing so, could leave the companies, the big, the bigger company, the smaller company without me. If I was uh, managing that project uh, or that task, whatever it was for whatever client, I have to be the one signing off, right? Saying, okay, mm -hmm. this is this is good. This is going to the client. So I would always know exactly the content and whatever happened in the whole project. Just take it from start to finish in every possible way, which is really what I like about project management. Mm. I love the fact that you're involved in every step because that's what I like, that vision of, of the business. I really enjoy it. So I'm assuming that you also have some linguistic responsibilities in, um, in that kind of context. Um, uh, so basically my job involved everything from uh, voting for a, a job, um, preparing the project, placing the project, um, liaising with uh, translators, clients, queries, all these kind of things, 
um, then I also had to check the final files. So even if it was in a language that I didn't speak, I had to go through and make sure that everything was there. All the numbers are correct. The names are <gasps> those checklists, right? <laughs> For yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then um, I also did the invoicing uh, for the project. And also we didn't have um, like a dedicated um, vendor management department. So it was also our responsibility as project managers to, if we needed a new translator, we went out in the wild online and found the, the right person. So um, so it was, it was many things. Um, in terms of linguistic, things. Um, we didn't have that many Hungarian projects, uh, but we did have some. So I've always looked at what, what did the translator do there? <laughs> but um, but it was mainly um, the actual mm -hmm. organization side of the project. And then how did you jump into being a freelance translator? Because it's, it's a totally, like I always say, yes, you might have a linguistic part involved in being a project manager, but Let's say that it's the the type of activity is completely uh, different, and I I think you need to you know almost split your brain, and one is for this and the other one is for that because it's it's a different kind of focus. So what happened? So um, the company started doing it was a project for uh, it was a, I don't even remember how many languages, like multilingual languages, uh, little children's stories. And I started doing the Hungarian uh, translations because I had the translation background. Ah, oh, that's a beautiful way to start. <laughs> I'd never heard that this one before. <laughs> so it's it's um. I think it. I have I have seen this happen that project managers who work at the company might start translating for the same company as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um. Yeah, and, and I, I've still like I quite enjoyed it. I did that course at university. And as um, as the years went by, I decided to do a deep trans. So I took the diploma in translation. Mm -hmm. And then, like as the time progressed, I uh, started a bit more consciously shifting towards maybe maybe this is something I could do like uh, full time. Mm -hmm. So very slowly, um, started doing more freelance stuff. And uh, once I get a once I got a, a regular client besides our own company. Um, I handed in my resignation. That wasn't easy after seven years. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I started my freelancing, full-time freelancing journey. That was wow. five years ago. So, <laughs> so how, did, how did it feel to actually, well, I, I have a similar situation at the moment, but let's see how you felt. <laughs> About, About <laughs> leaving what you know <laughs> and, mm. uh, you've, you've known for many years uh, so basically it was your first job and you just stay there for a, a really long period I consider a long period for especially yeah. for a young person I always tell everybody in the company you're so young you're 25 you're 27 stay here only for two years and go somewhere else this is what I always tell people so you were there for such a long time and it was in such a relevant moment of your life when you start looking at things from a different perspective, blah, blah, blah. So what happened the day that you are now a full-blown freelancer? So what was it? <laughs> well, <laughs> mm. um, I think by the time I uh, I handed in my resignation, I was ready to, to go freelance. It was still a bit emotional when I said goodbye to my colleagues that basically... Uh, 
I had the same boss for seven years. Um, so it was a small team as well. And um, I think I was ready at that point. And I also had the knowledge because one, one obviously one major concern was the, the financial aspects. How will, yes, I, will I get mm. enough money to survive? Um, and basically, it, it was really good to have my husband's support. And he said that, yeah, um, we have enough savings. So if worse comes to worse, you can, we can use that. Um, but you have been thinking about this for so long, you should really mm -hmm. give this financing a try. So in this sense, I was really lucky to have, have had this uh, supportive uh, background mm -hmm. um, behind me. So and did you... it. <laughs> yes, I bet you didn't. You yeah. were like, okay, I'm doing my thing. But what was your approach? Did you start? Because you already had a few clients, right? So, yeah. Uh, but then what did you do? What was the first thing that came to your mind? Did, did you decide to immediately go look for other clients? Did you do the whole cold emailing yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i sent out lots of emails um a little while ago i found a list of of some of the companies i applied to and i don't even remember half <laughs> half of them so i just sent out so many emails uh sent out my cv to to all the so basically what i did i looked on pros and and um, checked if they um uh, if they had a good rating if they seemed reliable Mm -hmm. uh, then I would apply and uh, I still think to this day that maybe luck also played some part yes, always does. <laughs> um, but, but I did apply at lots of agencies mm -hmm. so is Hungarian one of those uh, languages where you get everything translated into Hungarian are Hungarian people very informed about you know they have deep knowledge of English what kind of community do you have in Hungary? Do they really need the information or is it just a matter of wanting it to be translated into their own language or is it a, a real need or is there another language like our, our case with, with Brazilian Portuguese, most of the materials that we've always had, even for school courses, everything that you have online, blah, blah, blah. It's like a huge amount of things in Brazilian Portuguese, in Spanish, in English. And sometimes we feel that the translation into European Portuguese is not as needed because mm -hmm. us, uh, as a community, we're, we're very open to receiving materials in other languages or varieties. What's the situation with people in Hungary? So in Hungary, there is one official language, mm -hmm. Hungarian, and uh, there are some minority languages, but um, basically all the, like all the business communications, official um, matters, they're all done in Hungarian. And, um, and if a company wants to to do business in Hungary, uh, they do need either an interpreter to facilitate the meeting or have things translated. Um, I think maybe nowadays the level of English and other foreign, foreign languages is getting better because of the internet and all the, all the streaming services where you can watch the, the movies in different languages. So I think that helps, but um, I would say that the average average person would need Mm. things translated into Hungarian mm -hmm. so yeah it's a bit different from us and how many mm. are you in Hungary how many people how many millions <laughs> I think it's about I don't know the latest figures <laughs> yes yeah, I, like. I think yeah I think we are um shrinking as a as a nation <laughs> but, uh, about 10 million 
it's the same as us. We're now growing because everybody is deciding to to come to Portugal to live for mm -hmm. whatever reason that I will never comprehend. But that's me. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's an, I don't know. Never been, but the pictures are amazing from. <laughs> yeah, well, that's one thing. I understand that you visit, and it's like nobody knew this corner of the world existed, and now it's like in fashion to just come and live here and buy property and go crazy, be a freelancer here, be a nomad, be whatever you want. So it's just pretty much. But in our case, it's actually growing like that because a lot of nationalities are preferring Portugal to come and live. But I'm not going to get into that, or else I'll get really mad. So, <laughs> and that's irrelevant for our conversation. <laughs> So then do you feel like you have a stream of work and that, you know, Hungarian translations everywhere and freelancers and people who work in language? Because I never like saying translators. I, I have this thing about that word uh, because I say that the when we say translation industry, we're not talking about translation. And what you do is also because you 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 work in, in many fields, but I would say that the field that you focus the most on, which is at least from your posts in, on LinkedIn, this is what I see uh, most of the time, is that you actually focus on uh, localization, right? Yeah. So uh, when I started, I kind of did all kinds of documents. And then um, I realized that it's not, uh, first of all, it's not going to work. And uh, you do need the specialized people to, to translate specialized content. content. Mm -hmm. So I, um, I don't do technical. Um, like heavy machinery and all these kind of things, or, or uh, medical. So, um, sorry, what was the question? Well, about the game localization. Well, localization, yeah, game localization. in general, and then yeah. I'm very interested in game localization. I'm actually, uh, I'll have an expert on that too, because you're an expert and he is an expert too. He actually had a, a course on um, Translo Stars. Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, recently, I know. He yes, is, yeah. he's Brazilian. <laughs> Right, and he's going to be on the podcast next week, so I'm very excited about that. So mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about it because it's something that I'm really interested in. And I think it's so fresh. I was, I also had a few adventures when I worked for Sony PlayStation ages ago, but it's something that really interests me because it, it's really important for for kids at the moment. I went to a school recently, started talking about the importance of English translation and all that stuff. I went there to talk about that, and immediately the first thing that they talked about was games. And how relevant it has been for uh, their development of foreign languages, especially Spanish and and uh, and English. So I was like, wow, this must be very nice. And I started looking into that a little bit. Probably that's mm -hmm. why I focused also on your content a little bit more. So how did that happen? Because it's that is very specific, right? Yeah, that was also by luck. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> um, the luck of the Irish, no, the luck of the Hungarian. The Hungarian. <laughs> um, one of the first clients I got outside the company where I used to work at was a video game, video game localization company. And um, so they put out an ad on prose um, and I applied. I did the test, test translation and they started uh, working on that particular game mm -hmm. for them. Um, and uh, again, as time went by, they started sending me different kind of uh, materials like... Um, so it, it's not just in-game content. Most people would think that when you when you are a game localizer, it's all you do is like user in yeah, so there's a user interface and the in-game dialogues and all these things inside the game. But then you also have um like you can have the legal documents, agreements, um 
even like Steam descriptions, like, I don't know if you know uh, Steam. If you what could explain it? briefly. So it's, it's you can, um, you can look at the game and you can buy the game. So it's a platform uh, for video games. Ah. So uh, you can select the language that you want to read uh, the content in. And um, I would say, not all, not all the games, but many games have um, description in different languages. Um, and it tells you like uh, what languages the game is available in, um, what uh, specifications you need. So it's, it's a platform for video games. Um, and um, so that's one part of the job. Uh, I do a lot of those marketing texts. Uh, so like little social media posts for the games or newsletters for the, the, the players. Um, so it's it's really varied, um, and it's not just in-game content. And even within the in-game content, you get different things, and you can get lots of um, like puns, jokes, rhymes. So it's 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 quite fun. Um, Names of characters that sometimes you have to localize. Sometimes, yeah. Uh, sometimes you don't have that. Um, you just that keep them. Opportunity, just have to keep them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, this is like your main focus would you consider this your main focus or yeah yes at the moment this yeah yeah that's what i've been seeing on social media <laughs> but amongst all this right we we already established that you like doing totally different things at the same time and so you felt the need to actually be a part of other institutions and groups and all of that so what's the story with uh, women in localization so how did you come across that opportunity or that mm -hmm. idea so there was an ad on LinkedIn, I think, um, that they were looking for um, a volunteer to join the social media team. And I thought that, oh, great, I have uh, I have some experience with digital marketing. Mm -hmm. um, I could try and apply. And uh, yeah, I, I joined the team. And uh, the reason behind that was to, to be a bit more involved uh, with the industry. Mm -hmm. to network to learn so so one one good thing about volunteering is that um it's not just that you you help others to to get more information uh make new connections but you yourself also learn a lot mm -hmm. meet new people so it's it's really rewarding in many different levels yeah and yeah that's that's how i joined and um um when the the term of the the previous uh, chapter manager has come to an end. She asked if I wanted to take over from her. And this is how I ended up um, being the chapter manager. Mm. So do you go to a lot of events even outside women in localization? Because in the UK, there's a lot of things that I've been, you know, looking at even this uh, unconference thing that I'm really... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did you go there? <laughs> yes. Uh, in Cardiff, there was... Um, 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 a it is not a, it's not a conference it's an unconference exactly um yeah so i go to a lot of events that uh we organize uh with women localization um it, it's been mostly online and we are now starting to go back to in person and um and actually next month we will have a hybrid event with uh, in person and online um uh parts uh, i also go to translation conferences just as myself, <laughs> so I'm not representing I, anyone. 
<laughs> and and speaking, right? I think you you spoke at some event recently. Yes, um, I spoke at uh, the VP conference um, about LinkedIn and LinkedIn marketing, mm -hmm. and that was the first time I did. So you're a real expert on LinkedIn. Um, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> well, if you if you can, you know, make a presentation on it, it's because you're just an average user, right? But yeah, I mean, what do you call an expert? Really? <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> well, I did I did an experiment for one year, so all my experience and expertise, if I have any, then that comes from there. So what what was the experience or or the experiment? <laughs> not the experience, the experiment. So the experience comes from the experiment. Let's yes. yeah. <laughs> vocabulary clear. <laughs> yes. Um so I decided that I would post every day, um, every working day, so not on weekends or uh, or when I wasn't working, uh, to see if it made any difference in terms of um, my business. So not just making new connections or exchanging ideas, but in terms of the business. Um, yeah, so um, all in all, the, the final, the bottom line is that it didn't... Um, bring the like huge amount of new business that mm -hmm. I would have expected uh, because with what we see what we saw with uh, women localization um, we also did daily posts um, and we really saw an increase in the numbers of the membership numbers and um, people who followed the LinkedIn page so for that it really worked mm -hmm. and I think um, like it also depends on what kind of languages you work with, uh, mm -hmm. what you post about. Uh, but for me, it it uh, didn't bring riches. So <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a, it was a good experience. I don't regret doing it, and uh, mm -hmm. it, it was fun. And I like writing. So so you we can expect to see lots of other things from you not necessarily every single day of, of the year every working day of the year but on a regular basis and i'm going to yeah, yeah i would i would like to following. so before we go i i just wanted to talk a little bit more about you because like i said in the beginning you already gave all the points that we're going to <laughs> Points about your life okay, that's fine so we also we also you also mentioned uh team translators right that's the name of it and let's just uh just talk a little bit more about that your project with uh kelsey and just what kind of people are supposed to join who is there what happens and why people who are uh who fit into that profile should join yes so basically um <clears throat> we, we and why you guys felt the need yeah. to create this also right so we used to used to be on the same uh, social media team at Women in Localization UK with Kelsey. Um, mm -hmm. Kelsey, just to give her a full name. <laughs> I guess everybody knows we call her <laughs> Kelsey and everybody knows because she's so popular. <laughs> she is very popular. Yeah. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah. And um, we, had, we had a lot of discussions about all different things. And, and one of the things we talked a lot about is... Um, um, the agencies that are hmm, this this relationship with agencies and freelancers, where the agencies dictate mm -hmm. uh, what's happening financially uh, with the freelancer, and um, 
we, we thought that, um, so basically online, if you read forums and you read rants about the very low rates uh, that are like bordering exploitative, um, then it's it's just hate and there is no real solution. So people just go there, rent and, and okay, this agency is terrible, don't work for them. But there wasn't an actual real solution anywhere that we could see. Mm -hmm. So we talked a lot about this and we thought that, oh, maybe it would be best to have like a community where translators can talk to each other. And instead of focusing on the negative, acknowledging the negative, but thinking of um, solutions, Mm -hmm. How can you how can you raise your rates? How can you charge the rates that you want? How do you market yourself? Um, and um, and basically these these conversations led to uh, starting um, this Slack group called mm -hmm. Team Translator, and we also started creating some free resources for translators. Um, so we have a rate calculator. And you put in what you want to earn um, in terms of what you need to earn to support your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And it kind of counts backwards and tells you how much you should charge per hour and per thousand words. Mm. And there is also uh, a guide to scams, because as we know, there are quite a lot of scammy uh, activities going on in the in the in the translation sphere. So so how it's, it's actually aimed at more um, like newbie translators who hasn't mm -hmm. haven't had the experience, how they can avoid being scammed. Um, we also have a list of events going on uh, in the in the um, in the industry. Um, um, podcast recommendations. We we uh, I don't know if we've added yours, but we will definitely. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, yeah, so so we, we started this Slack group, and it's for any freelance translator, whether it's a, it's a newbie or a or a or a veteran. I don't know if I can say that. Um, and uh, basically, it's just it's just a community to to talk about everyday things. There is a there is a channel where you can celebrate your wins. So if you you had a new client, you can write about it. Um, there is a channel for memes, um, hmm. like ran random. The, the channel is called Random, so uh, you can post uh, fun things there. So, so it's 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 grown quite a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, we started in November, and we are already uh, over six hundred fifty members. So it really seems that there was a a need for mm -hmm. such a positive community. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think I think there's there's a, <laughs> I keep on talking about that because it's really my favorite subject in the whole biz thing is to talk about this relationship between translators and agencies and uh, th that's something I I really enjoy discussing and and thinking about uh, because of all my experience and being in both sides because obviously I was a vendor manager for eight years which I guess <laughs> gives me a little bit of a perspective. Yeah, uh, from both sides because obviously I have worked in from all the sides. There are involved. I've worked for clients. I've worked for agencies. I've worked in agencies. So I've been a freelancer. I've been in house. I've been everywhere, and it's really a subject that it's dear to my heart. And uh, I'm always open to discussing that and also rates. So those are two very hot mm -hmm. topics <laughs> that I enjoy discussing. 
But you know what? Thank you so much for this. This was amazing. I had a lot of fun. I hope you did too. <laughs> it was a pleasure talking to you. And I'm glad I invited you because you were a great guest. I have to tell you that. <laughs> Thank you once again for inviting me. And uh, I hope that some of the things I mentioned like were useful as well. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I'm sure they'll be useful. Yeah, I think it's, it's great yeah. for people to get to know you better and to know mm. what happened throughout your your career, you know, and how you went from in-house to freelance. I think all of those things are very relevant for, for people when they, you know, need to be thinking about what they're going to do next and how they're mm. going to you know, turn their lives around sometimes. So thank you so much. And we'll be talking soon. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you for everything. Bye. Bye.